0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and
1: more.
2: This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
3: G'day there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for joining me for the Country Hour this Monday lunchtime. Well, it is that time of year again.
4: Is that lamb? Lamb. You know, when I was a kid, we'd
5: have lamb. E- lamb barbecue. Lit. Well, at least we can agree on something. The generation
0: gap—it's closing.
3: Yeah, that is the annual lamb ad. It's another big production. It got released over the weekend. We're going to take a close look at that ag, that ad on the show today. We'll also be finding out how aquifer levels are faring this wet season so far. Speaking of the wet season, it has been pretty patchy, especially around Catherine. That hasn't been great news
5: for hay growers in the region. If you're under a storm, you've, you've got a smile from, you know, from one ear to the other. And uh, you just have to be sort of you know, a couple of uh, k's away and you, you're not getting anything at all. So it's been a little bit frustrating in that respect.
3: Yeah, plenty to come on the Country Hour today. That's all before 1.30. We are expecting the new Ag Minister, Mark Monahan to come into the studio on today's Country Hour. If you've got questions for him, please send them through now on 487 Double nine one zero five seven. Mark Monaghan, the NT's new Agribusiness Minister and Minister for Mining. Going to be talking about all the big topics in those portfolios on the show today. So if you've got some burning questions you want the new Ag Minister to answer, please do send them through again. That number, 0487991057. But first up today, uh, let's talk about the waterfowl season, the magpie goose season. It wrapped up this morning. And a short time ago, I had a chat with Bart Irwin from NT Field and Game, and asked him what the last fifteen weeks or so have been like.
6: They, they were just fantastic, despite you know poor rainfall conditions uh, from the swamps to the um, to the crops. Uh, respected hunters like um, like Doug Saunders on the swamp said he hasn't seen uh, birds like it for twenty or thirty years. Uh, they blacked out the sky. Uh, he mainly hunted Howard and Shoal Shoal Bay areas, but he had friends who were um, doing Lambels and, and Harrison Dam and everybody did exceptionally well, but it was the was the sheer volume of birds that were out there that really staggered him. And I I concurred, I said the same about uh, what I saw on the on the crops. Never haven't seen it. Like it uh, ever, I think, and we've been we've been doing crop protection for nearly ten years now um, on some of these farms, and it was just uh, mind boggling.
3: Wow! Well, given there was so many around, were you able to keep them off the
6: mangoes? Well, you, normally we we did we did keep them off while they were um while they were getting fruit while they were picking fruit. Sorry uh but they then they came in uh following that for uh and we even even with them while they were hedging uh and then uh mulching everything they were still coming into the end of the crops and you, know, you can't if you if you give a goose a free meal uh, you'll just encourage him to come back earlier next year uh, when the when the crops are valuable. So um, it's it's a matter of changing their behaviour. But oh, geez, we were up against it this year. We really were. Send more ammo.
3: And given there were so many geese around, uh, do you, what did you hear about uh, the numbers of hunters who were out and about, especially on the swamps, the public areas?
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, Lamble's Lagoon was shoulder to shoulder and is a real danger to, um, to everyone involved out there. We need, we need more reserves. We need them quickly. Uh, the minister, uh, and now Chief Minister Eva Lawler says she can't find one. Jeez, I can, um, I could find a dozen for her, but, um, she seems oblivious to it and, uh, it's quite annoying, but... Uh, Where's
3: one that you think uh, should, should be opened up more areas for, for public hunting? Well,
6: you, you could extend, um, you could extend uh, Harrison Dam right along Butress Lagoon. Uh, it's all NT, NT Land Corporation dirt there. Um, you could put uh, Black Swamp in, uh, Black Jungle in, sorry, Malacca Swamp. Uh, just to name a few, they're they're the ones close uh, close and uh, and already in Parks and Wildlife or uh, NT Land Corporation hands. So it's not hard, it's not hard at all. But they have no appetite for it, it seems. So uh, there has to we'll be a balance, right?
3: There'd be plenty of people who want to go out and enjoy nature and, and not see birds get shot and hear the sounds of gunshots.
6: Well, uh, so yeah, they've got the Parks passed now. Uh, I'd interesting to see how many people are going to uh, Malacca, Malacca Swamp. How many people are going to uh, Black Jungle? I bet you none. I'll, I'll, I'll bet not a single person goes to those uh, parks and wildlife reserves.
3: The wet season so far, Bart, hasn't been great. No monsoon as of yet. What does that mean for magpie goose numbers in the years to come?
6: Well, it, uh, yeah, the the aerial survey said that uh, the population had dropped down about uh thirty three percent i think they said eight hundred thousand was by my count and we've said we've never seen so many geese uh we're the ones that are out there day in day out uh, hunting regularly um, and we so we've never seen so many we've never you know we had uh just the young birds in our bag would at least be 50% of every of all the bags that I took. And uh, so the nesting must have been good because it was producing uh, new young yearling birds. Uh, it is completely sustainable. And, um, yeah, even when we had those two poor wets in succession, um, the, the public servant who did the aerial count, uh, he said, oh, these barked. They seem to have a breed-at-any-cost uh, mentality this year, and I said, yeah, that's what I've been telling you. They've been around for a million-odd years. They don't uh, just curl up and die because they um, have a couple of poor wets in succession. They've been through this before.
3: Are you still hoping for some more rain, though?
6: Oh, certainly. I can't wait. <laughs> there's, an egg, there's a goose egg in every raindrop, and I can't wait to see it come uh, later this week. Uh, Just
3: lastly, Bart, did you try any new goose recipes this season?
6: Um, We're heavily into some marinated uh, breasts with um, some sambal olek, uh, a Thai, I think it's a Thai um, paste, and it went fantastically well. Um, A very good friend of uh, ours, Fabio, um, he's got it down pat and uh, puts it together on I'm not quite sure of it myself. It's uh, a bit of uh, Italian magic he uh, he does with it, with a Thai influence.
3: <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Uh, thanks for your time on the country out today, Bart. Thanks, man. That is Bart Irwin. He's a spokesperson for NT Field in Game, speaking there about the waterfowl hunting season just gone. Uh, pretty good reports there from Bart. Um, Yeah, the uh, next season, we'll have to wait and see. The geese, they are certainly after some more rain, as we all are.
7: G'day, my name's Daniel Williams. We've been here at Hembury hitting in post this week for Hale River, and uh, you're listening to The Country Hour.
3: G'day there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald here on the program this afternoon on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. And we're joined now by the Territory's new Minister for Agribusiness and the Minister for Mining, Mark Monaghan. Of course, just before Christmas, Natasha Files resigned as Chief Minister with Eva Lawler taking her place and bringing in a whole new Cabinet. If you've got questions for the new Minister, please send them through on 0487 0487 991057. Uh, Mark, thanks a lot for coming into the Country Hours studio. Um, first of all, for, for those who don't know you, what do you see as your qualifications for being the Territory's new Ag Minister?
7: Um, thanks, Dan, and I uh, actually think I've made it. Now I'm on the country air. I, a long-term listener uh, going forward. I've been in the territory uh, uh, over 26 years now, and um, and lived at remote, engaged with remote, uh, which has got uh, a number of the places I've lived and worked have got the, um, the mines operating in them. And they've got uh, agriculture operated in uh, operating them. I've got family connections in the industry up here. So, um, uh, and uh, and when it comes down to uh, some of the, the wonderful things about the Territory um, and uh, the, our fisheries and all those sort of things, I've got a very vested interest in, in ensuring that they um, they uh, propagate to a, a, a great level because uh, I love my fisheries, I love my seafood up here, and uh, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of interesting space that uh, I've worked in that's connected me to, to um, ultimately end up where I am. You
3: spent some time on Territory Cattle Stations?
7: Yeah, I've I've visited them. Uh, I have uh, my my wife's uh, uncle used to run stations at it, at Newry and uh, Laverne and uh, uh, those at Argyle, but she did. it did come with a, uh, a warning for me that uh, whenever he wanted to uh, take us out for a picnic that I should decline uh, uh, very uh, kindly because she knew that it was going to result in a whole day of fencing or uh, <laughs> working the land. So not that I was uh, uh, adverse to that. I actually went out and... Um, but I think uh, her uncle took, took a very kind uh, view on me. There's <laughs> <laughs>
3: certainly always work to be on cattle stations. Absolutely.
7: Now, no you, free lunch there.
3: <laughs> yes, certainly. Now, you are the Territory's third Ag Minister in the last three months. That is a bit of instability. Um, what sort of continuity is lost in projects over that turnover?
7: Oh, I don't think it's necessarily uh, instability um in the fact that there's there's been three in that time because pr- prior to that there was a long term uh long term advocates in that space. And uh and we've had some great team. I've I s suppose the most recent one in in Nicole Manison was the probably one of the best advocates in the territory um for for mining or for um for agriculture or or, or fisheries or the like. Um and uh I would argue that she wasn't the best one. I reckon I am that, uh, but because of my background in, in those areas, um, in those communities where, where they are happening every day and I see the impact of it, I see the benefit of it and I see the hard work and the, and the challenges of it. So, you've
3: had, your, we, you've had your feet under the desk for a week or two now. What do you think are the most pressing issues for Territory Ag
7: 2024. Well, for territory ag, it's, it's it's quite a complex area, which is is fantastic, but it's also a connected area, um, and and probably the the most important is is not taking our eye off about growing the industry uh, to to um, diversify our economy, um, because it plays a significant part in that. I was only down at the uh, to his uh, mango farm the other day, and uh, and that was a constant reminder there. That uh, the role they play in growing that business, the challenges that in that particular sector and that business, uh, and the support that she needs for us to come in in, in, um, in order to build it because we need their industries to build. We, I look at it and I go, I see this connectedness with the, 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 uh, the industry, particularly the ag business, and in, in, in cotton, uh, in cattle, um, and in some of those uh, broad acre uh, sort of uh, uh, crops that we're going to try and bring in to, uh, to ensure, again. We don't rely on the boom and bust that I saw, that I grew up with here. Um, when prices for mining and, and various other things fluctuated, uh, the Territory really felt it. Um, we're about uh, diversifying that economy, and every an agribusiness has got a really important role to play in that space. Yeah,
3: and what can be done in the agribusiness side of things to make sure um, there is that growth that you say you want?
7: Yeah, well, it's, it's around investment, and it's about having the right... Um, uh settings for that investment to encourage that investment but it's also about protecting the industries um it's also the biosecurity that happens in that space uh to give the confidence to the the producers and to the to the um the people who buy our products that uh, we still and will going forward have the best product uh in the country in 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 whatever it is whether it's in uh, cattle whether it's in cotton whether it's in um uh, uh mangoes whether whatever we are we are the place to do business and that, so it 's about building that confidence in it and allowing that, uh, the investors to come in and, and get on with making money for the whole community
3: and on biosecurity and cattle, one of the big issues that reared its head last year was the issue with skin blemishes, Indonesia not accepting a, a quite a proportion of territory cattle with some pretty minor skin blemishes. Is there anything you can do in that space to to help the cattle industry,
7: yeah. Look, it's um, first and foremost it's about the relationships we have with with um, Indonesia and those places. It's uh, it's about giving them confidence through our um, biosecurity measures that we put in place. It's about education. It's about a whole range of things in that space. Um, but uh, at the end of the day. Um, it 's important that uh, and from the from the, the the farmers' perspective as well, they are keen to make sure that their product is safe and it 's safe for for, uh, for the marketplace and that it when it 's like that and we have the reputation that we 've got we need to to invest in to, to ensure that we we keep it so lumpy skin is one that 's uh, probably the biggest um, uh, factor in the biosecurity currently with cattle uh, and it 's ensuring that uh, we have not only measures where we do what we do, but also that we support uh, our neighbours to do, to do those things and, um, and sharing the knowledge and the science and those sort of things.
3: The Territory's first cotton gin opened in Catherine just late last year. That's likely to see the NT's crop continue to grow. Not everyone is pleased to see that. Do you think this industry can grow Sustainably,
7: I think it's a fantastic opportunity for the territory, and the the fact that we've opened the cotton gin gin, uh, is amazing. But I think a lot of the community don't really understand the wide-ranging benefits of this industry to to uh, other. Um, agribusinesses in particular cattle and the 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 fact that we can use the seed to um, actually fatten our cattle up at a greater rates so opens up those markets so it 's not it 's not just the cotton we make at of it it's it 's across the the sectors in general that will build again those opportunities to um, uh, for different markets and that 's that 's why we get and why I get behind one hundred percent because yep obviously there's some environmental stuff we tick off and we have the most um, scrutinised environmental legislation that our government can put in place to ensure that we do it uh, with the very, very best uh, environmental outcomes. Uh, we get that in place and then we get on with it. We get on with actually running the businesses and supporting those industries to to do what they do best and that's grow their grow their product.
3: And the expansion of this industry of cotton, it's it is likely to see more land cleared for cotton production. Are you
7: comfortable with that? Look, uh, one of the aspects about uh, this—the uh, any business growing—and it's whether you're building a a, a a building in town, you still need land cleared. But it's what it's about the regulations you put behind industry to ensure they do it with with not only the very best environmental intentions and and. <laughs> I've, I've seen firsthand a number of these, particularly in the mining. I know the intellect that's behind, the science that's behind some of their personnel in this space, and they are at the cutting edge of, of the way they do things. So uh, the cotton industry is exactly the same. They, the land clearing that's required for that will be kept to whatever it needs to be kept, kept to, um, and it will be done in the best and with the safest environmental um, practices globally in the, um, here in the Territory because that's what will grow the business when we get those social licences to operate.
3: If you're just tuning in, this is The Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald, and you're hearing from the NT's new Minister for Agribusiness and Fisheries, Mark Monahan. Uh, if you've got any questions, please send them through on 0487 We've got one here asking uh, when the new Minister will be in Alice Springs.
7: I uh, actually have some uh, time in Spring in the coming weeks. So, uh, and what I've said to, to my uh, office is is that when I'm there for one particular sector, I'll be touching base with a number of, of sectors. So, my intention is to to get down there and talk to some of the landowners, like people at Vivell Field, if he's available, while I'm down there to to touch base. And I have a view that that the intellect that sits behind the actual uh, operator is something that's largely untapped. Um, and, and and that intellect is something that I value in how I weigh up how we go forward in ver- with various aspects. So getting to the landholders, uh, getting to the stakeholders is very important. That's why my, my calendar's been pretty full since coming on board uh, uh, in doing that. Um, I, I get to feel what they feel every day by doing that. And tomorrow I think I'm off down to Tipperary Station to, to do just that down at Tipperary Station. Uh,
3: turning to fisheries now, the commercial barramundi season, it's due to kick off in just over three weeks. Towards the end of last year, there were some big issues raised with Arnhem Land Traditional Owners cutting access to Buckingham Bay and calling for a ban on the use of gill nets. What's access for that area going to look like come February 1?
7: Look, it's one of those things that, um, and I've spoken to uh, to our stakeholders in that, um, that area already, um, and I'm very confident that the landowners and the land council and the, the fisheries uh, 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 industry themselves, who are already in significant discussions, will come to a decision about how it works for everybody. At the end of the day, landowners must must share in the economic benefit of their land. I've got no qualms about that. But the land, land councils and the, the TOs and the industry talking together is the best way to get to that point.
3: Do you support TO's calls for a ban on gill nets?
7: I support TO's calls to um, manage and and engage in the benefits of, of any industry that's in their area. So, uh, gill nets are something that they'll they'll bring up with the the industry, um, and the the industry will have ways of, of navigating that. Um, and I'll then be left to to support it where, however I can. Um, but at the end of the day, as I said, these these communities and whether it's Blue Mud Bay or wherever, um, need to have a good outcome for everybody.
3: You're also the Minister for Mining. Um, late, late last week we heard the news that the Territory's newest mine, called Lithium's Finest Mine, suspending mining operations, potentially up to 150 people out of work, what does that say about the state of mining in the Northern Territory?
7: It says that mining is, is impacted by share price. That's what it basically says. And, um, and you have a mining operator who respond to that in their environment in the best way they do. And and that's to to realign their business to ensure that uh, the ongoing future of it is is something that's going to be positive. Now, that happens time and time and time again. Um, I know it certainly happened at the time with ERA when the uranium price was affected by um, uh, 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 Fukushima and uh, the uranium price plummeted, and uh, ERA and Rio Tinto had to look at their business and go, "Okay, well, what are the changes we need to hear to be able to navigate this this particular, uh, particular period of time?" Um, it happens with on the other side of it with uh, when you've got the, the things like the gold price going to over three thousand uh, dollars, you have paid people like Newmont going, "Okay, well, what is it we do to our business to realign this thing?" The, so the anti-government so
3: though has been, you know, been spruiking this mine a lot over the last few years. Did they back the wrong horse?
7: No, they didn't back the wrong horse. They backed lithium. They backed these, these companies that are prepared to invest, and I backed them too. Um, going forward, the Grattan Institute says by 2030, this 41% increase in lithium uh, price globally. Um, so they actually didn't ba- back anything in, the, in, in that sector that says the wrong horse. All it is is a, a company reflecting what happens through market pressures. And part of this market pressure occurred um, when China removed the subsidy. Uh, for, for lithium in the country uh, and, um, and you have uh, the EV demand fall off uh, because, they, because they get a lot more lithium come onto the market, it was flooded so really it's just a sensible business decision and, that, and I've got every faith in, in, um, in core lithium, they'll navigate their way through and they'll see the, uh, the, fa- the fantastic rewards that lie into the future because lithium is a critical uh, mineral that will get us to a renewable uh, future and they're needed they're needed in the market
3: I'll just get you to put your headphones yep. on now um, have a little quote here from CLP Opposition Leah Fanocchiare mm. She had this to say about the core lithium Shutdown
5: So commodity prices will fluctuate and that's why it's really important for the Territory Government to make sure it has a broad base to its economy. We can't just put all our eggs in one basket. There has to be a number of projects going forward at any one time and that's where we've seen this government completely fall over. Project Sea Dragon has disappeared. Sun Cable still has a question mark over it. The luxury hotel is gone and the ship lift remains a picture on a piece of paper. This is a government that hasn't got runs on the board when it comes to project development and growing our economy. And as a result, we don't have that underpinning strength to be able to provide alternatives for people when commodity prices rise and fall.
3: Does she have a point there that this is yet another major project failure under the Labor government?
7: No, no, what she's, her point there is exactly the same point that we have, so I'm, I'm glad she's taken our, uh, our lines on that because it's a bit diversity. We absolutely have to diversify our economy. So what we do in this space, and and we see uh, the rise in the agribusiness um, uh, and and things like mangoes that we're producing 51% now of the the nation's mangoes. This is about diversifying the economy. That's exactly what she's saying. So I'm I'm really not too sure why she uh, uh, goes on about it because she's only agreeing with what we're trying to do and are doing.
3: But there are, as you mentioned there, a number of projects like coal which just haven't really got off the ground in a big way.
7: And there are lots of businesses. I grew up in a business that was uh, to do with uh, uh, infrastructure and building, Uh, and they all go through. I remember my my father responding to the environmental impacts on his business as a construction industry. Uh, This is what business do. They respond all the time. They make decisions based on, on what market trends are or what market projections are. And so... To, to pull out a smaller sector of, of, of a mining economy, of which lithium is at the moment, uh, and say that it's got no future is just running the territory down. And I won't do that.
3: At the heart of it, though, there's 150 people, up to 150 people who could be out of work at that mine. Um, is there anything <laughs> you can do for, for those people?
7: Look, the one thing I do know particularly in the mining industry, is the absolute um, need for labour across various, sec- uh, various sections of, of that, uh, that industry. Having, again, personally worked in, in, in Groot Island with uh, the manganese mine back then when it was Gemco, uh, um, working with ERA, uh, working with um, uh, MacArthur River over the years in my own um, industry background, um, I absolutely see every day that they are crying out for more workers because these are specialist workers. And I've got no doubt that the, the uh, those... And, and the workers understand that. Engineers understand who work in the mines that they're in a global business. Um, so if they can stay in Australia, they're thankful. Um, I want them to stay in the Territory and, and certainly the demand is obviously in the Territory as well in that sector. Um, so I've got no, no misgivings at all thinking that they're going to be unemployed. Uh,
3: Thanks a lot for coming into the Country Hour studio. I'm sure we'll speak to you soon.
7: You're most welcome, Dan, and uh, thanks for having me. I can tick off Country Hour as my uh, bucket list. (laughs) Cheers. Breakpoint, breakpoint. Midnight madness in Melbourne. Oh, these
2: rallies. What a shot. Just (laughs) when you think you have seen it all. January 14th.
0: Australian Open Tennis returns. Listen big on the ABC Listen app.
3: Well, a large hay producer near Catherine says it's been a very patchy start to the wet season, and that's really starting to impact some grass growth. African Mahogany Australia, it uh, grows uh, almost 2,000 hectares of Jarrah and Cavalcade just south of Catherine. Property manager Chris Oliver, he says rainfall, well, it's been a bit hit and miss. This wet season, so far,
5: the start of the season uh, looked quite promising with some some decent falls and um, since then it 's sort of yeah been if you 're under a storm you've you 've got a smile from, you know from one ear to the other, and uh, you just have to be sort of you know a couple of uh, ks away and you 're not getting anything at all so um, you know, on rock we've re- experienced quite a lot of variation from one side of the property to the other, with some areas receiving some decent rainfalls, and the other parts of the property essentially not receiving anything at all. So, it's been a little bit frustrating in that respect.
2: How hopeful are you feeling about the season ahead? Yeah, no, With the, as I said, with the with the uh,
5: storms coming through, you know, it, it gives you a lot of hope once you've you, you know, sort of on one of those paddocks that's received the rainfall, you, you notice it straight away with the development of the, of the young uh, crop or, or the existing hay crop that's there. What's that's going to do for us? Just depends if we start having a bit more consistent rainfall. I think the, the season should be, you know, on par with an average year. Uh, but at this stage, if this sort of hit and miss sort of storm activity come, continues on, I think that will impact our overall production.
2: And so let's say if the, the, the big rains come in end of January, what, what will you do?
5: Big rains at the end of January will still be quite, quite good for us. Um, our season normally goes through to around to about um, Easter time, so end of March. Uh, so those rains will be really welcome and that will help improve our, our crop yields and get everything a bit more even across the whole property. At this stage, uh, as I said, you know, knows that especially on some of our existing um, jarrah hay crops, yeah, they're suffering a fair bit with a lack of moisture. Uh, they started out growing really, really well, and then have sort of run into this barrier of no moisture around at all. So we really do need some consistent rains to come through to help improve the health and and development of those crops.
2: And so, what do you think the hay market is going to look like this year?
5: I think it's I suspect there's going to be uh, you know it will depend a little bit on uh, demand from from the cattle industry, of course, but um I suspect we'll have good demand for our for our product i 'm um, not the only one who 's complaining sort of about uh, you know, rain inconsistent rainfall. A lot of the other growers have experienced exactly the same thing so that sort of indicates that um, you know yields can be a little bit lower than, than average years, which means that there should be good high demand for for the products.
3: Chris Oliver, he's a property manager for African Mahogany Australia, which also grows a whole bunch of hay south of Catherine. He wants some more rain. We'll find out what's in store with the Weather Bureau in five minutes' time. If you've got any questions for the Bureau, 0487 991057.
6: G'day, I'm Ben Coates, Catherine, Northern Territory flat out loading trucks and supplying the rural industry across the north. We keep the ABC on at work all day so that our customers and our staff can keep up with all the news and latest happenings. And you're listening to The Country Hour.
3: G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald with you on this Monday edition of The Country Hour. Thanks a lot for joining me wherever you might be listening on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory, whether or not it's Channel 25 on your telly or via the ABC Listen app, where you can listen to us live or you can find us on the podcast. We put all of our programs on the podcast so you can listen to them at whatever time you like. Still to come on the program today, have you seen the new lamb ad yet?
4: Is that lamb? Lamb. You know, when I was a
5: kid, we'd have lamb every- lamb barbecue lit oh, well at least we can agree on something the generation gap it's closing
3: yeah the new lamb ad it is out and it's all about the generational gap it takes a good swing at pretty much every generation we've got going here and we'll take a closer look at that in the next 25 minutes or so First up, though, let's head to the Weather Bureau where we've got Billy Lynch on deck with us today. How are you, Billy? Yeah, good, thanks, Dan. That's the way. Um, Rainfall figures over the weekend. Uh, What can you tell us? There were
4: a few big falls. Yeah, there was. I mean, we had showers and thunderstorms right across the Territory over the weekend, but, um, yeah, the biggest one was Adelaide River West with about 126 millimetres. That was Saturday afternoon, and... um, that one was interesting because about 100 mils of that came down in just one hour. So, some very heavy rainfall and we saw the, the Adelaide River there sort of flash up about five metres. Wow. And then, yeah, and then dropped just as quickly. Um, so, yeah, that, that was definitely the best Um Around the Darwin region, Howard Springs has had 72 millimetres in the last three days. Um, but, yeah, the Daly District's been doing pretty good. Um, Daly River Police Station's had about 60 mills. Uh, the Pines, 60 as well. The Catherine region has had sort of around 20 to 30. Um, but the Waterhouse has had a little bit more, sort of 50 to 100 millimetres, with um, the best one being Beswick, with 94 millimetres. Um Around the MacArthur River, Bailey's Graves had uh, 55, um, and at the mine there's been about 30, 38. Uh, and then through the Vic River Country, also pretty good, with the the best one being um, 60 mils at the upper Victoria River. And further south, with some storms, the best one was actually Alice Springs Airport, um, picked up 20 millimetres yesterday afternoon.
3: Nice. Um, I snuck a little look at the Catherine River Cam, the uh, live stream that the Catherine Council has on on the bridge there in town and sadly
4: didn't look that very high it looked almost dry season sort of levels yeah um, still early days Um, some of the rivers are are responding a bit to the rain but um, not in any significant way yeah but you might have some good news for us come later this week Billy Um, what can you tell us about this potential monsoon yeah, so um, that's sort of towards the end of the week. Um, the next few days, the top end expected kind of more of the same like we saw over the weekend, just those scattered showers and storms with some some isolated heavy falls. But uh, yeah, expecting the, the monsoon to develop uh, to our north, sort of through Indonesia and in the Arafura Sea during the next couple of days. Uh, this stage, it looks like it will come down onto the north coast and the top end from about Thursday. Uh, so then, yeah, as we move into Friday and this coming weekend, um, yeah, looking like the, the monsoon sort of spreading across uh, parts of the top end and, and bringing a, an increase in rainfall. Okay. Um, how much rainfall could the, could be on the cards? Well, <laughs> it's a bit hard to predict at this stage, Um So, at at least more of what we've been seeing uh, over the last few days, but um, there could be a tropical low, or we are expecting a tropical low to develop uh, across the the western top end or about the the Timor Sea um, later in the week as well. So, that will obviously dictate just how strong um, the monsoon could get, but... uh, yeah, potentially, if that low uh, deepens over the Timor Sea during the weekend, it could be could be very wet across uh, the Western Top End and and the Kimberley as well.
3: Okay, and that uh, that monsoon, it's likely to head uh, southwest.
4: Is that correct? Well, look, the the, the tropical low is probably going to be slow moving uh, or heading sort of generally towards the the southwest uh, over the weekend. Um, I should mention we're giving that a low rating of uh, becoming a tropical cyclone sort of from Saturday from Saturday uh, and a moderate rating from from Monday next week. so people can check out our seven day tropical cyclone outlook on the web to sort of see the latest there. Um, but yeah, definitely if there's a sort of slow moving low to our west, then uh, I mean the monsoon will probably just hang around for as long as that lows hanging around. Okay, something for us to keep an
3: eye on come later this week. Um, in central Australia the next few days, any chance of
4: any more rain and storms? Yeah, look, definitely through the Barkley. There's still a lot of tropical moisture through there. So um, we're just starting to see a few storms develop there at the moment. But as we move throughout this afternoon, it will... Um, fill in a bit and we'll see some some more rain and the risk of some some heavier falls of sort of around maybe 50 to 80 millimetres in an isolated manner. Um, But there is a bit of dry air pushing up from the south. So um, today sort of uh, Alice Springs is kind of just within the the region where there could be some storms. Um, By tomorrow that sort of area is pushing north to about Tea Tree Um, So a bit of a clearance across the the southern districts over the next couple of days. Mm. Um, But yeah, generally continuing through the Barclay. And then by the end of the week, we expect the the showers and storms to spread southwards again back into the the Alice Springs region and the the Lasseter district. Yeah, and Alice Springs nudging up to 40 degrees on Thursday. That's right, yeah. So as those storms clear, the sunny skies will emerge and some some very hot temperatures will redevelop in the middle of the week. Okay. um, Thanks for the update, Billy. Anything else we need to know? No, I think that's it. Thanks, Dan.
3: Cheers. Thanks for your time. Uh, He's Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. It is 12 minutes past one here on the Country Hour. Get more from your garden all year
5: round with a subscription to ABC Gardening Australia and Organic Gardener magazines. Gardening Australia is packed with expert advice and ideas to guide you through each season. And in Organic Gardener, discover green ways to live, grow and save. And enjoy a fresh new year with the 2024 calendars and diaries. ABC Gardening Australia and Organic Gardener magazines. Subscribe now at abcmagazines.com.au. Now, once a month here on the Country
3: Hour, we like to take a look at the levels of the Top End's aquifers, just how much are they filling up with that wet season rain. Uh, We're joined now by Director of Water Assessment Adrian Costa. It hasn't been a great wet season so far. Uh, Tell us what that's meant for aquifers.
1: Yeah, look, no, we haven't. You're right. Um, The rainfall across Darwin... Uh, has been around about average, um, but other parts of the Territory have been uh, below average. You might remember we talked in November and um, apart from Darwin, the rest of the Territory had a fair bit of rainfall. So, I mean, that was good uh, for our systems. But in terms of the Darwin system, we we are seeing a rise now. So we're having about a 1.2 metre rise overall. In some areas, we're looking at two metre rises um our depth of water is around about fourteen meters below, so um we'd expect a peak to be around about ten meters uh, below, so you know we're we're still um some way off of that so uh Berry springs uh, system has seen a, a slight rise, probably not as much as in the darwin um, rural system and um You know, uh, compared to last year, we're tracking sort of, you know, three and a half metres below what we were last year. So it's good that things are rising, but we're still um, below where we were uh, last year.
3: Yeah, okay. So still significantly down. Um, Is that concerning at all?
1: Uh, Not really. I mean, one of the things we'd hope to get is um, some monsoonal systems. And I know the Bureau have sort of suggested... Uh, mid to late January, we might see that. And uh, we've got these systems that are uh, fill and spill. So, um, yeah, um, obviously we need those rains. Um, We need them, you know, more than ever because once we hit the dry, then we have five or six months of pretty much drought. So um, we look to January and February and sometimes we get, like last year, a bit of rain in March and April. Um, So, yeah, look, we've still got some time to get those rains in and and as long as the monsoon comes in, we, we should be right.
3: Yeah, a lot of people, I think, hanging out for some decent long-term rainfall and it uh, sounds like the water tables are too.
1: That's right, exactly. So, um, yeah, again, these um, fill and spill systems, so they really rely on that that recharge and, um, and you know, that's all related to the rainfall. So, uh, yeah, it's good to keep an eye on the rainfall and, um, yeah, look... You know, December was a, a little bit drier than we expected, uh, perhaps for the rest of the Territory. Darwin was on average. Um, but we did have that bumper November uh, for the rest of the Territory. So that was, that was a good thing.
3: Now, every year, uh, those people who have water licences get told how much, what percentage of their water licence they can take each year. Uh, you've been having a brief early look at what might be available for those in Catherine when their allocations are announced later in the year what what's your early take on how things are looking?
1: Yeah that's correct uh, Dan look uh, what we do these days is um, we send out some correspondence we do a a regional update in uh, December so we did that in December 2023 and then we'll send a Um, an early notice in around February, March, uh, in 2024. Um, but yeah, we've released that regional update, as I said, for December. Um, it gives a bit of a, uh, look at, uh, the past year in terms of, uh, modelled versus measured comparison of river flows from the end of dry last year. So it shows how our modelling sort of tracking against those that are measured. It looks at water use for the 2023 season. Uh, it also looks at a rainfall outlook, but it's really based on or synthesising what the Bureau is saying and also it looks at what the likely allocations are and so our early indications I guess you know the word being likely is that there will be um, full allocations that is likely but I guess over the next um, two or three months we'll be doing some modelling to to confirm that so uh, again an early notice will come out in February March on our website and then um, the official notice will come out on the the first of May.
3: Okay, early days still, but things looking good for for Catherine farmers and irrigators.
1: Yeah, looking good. And and last year, um, you know, it was looking a little bit dicey, I suppose. But then we got those rains in March and April, and things were looking good. But um, yeah, if this monsoon sort of comes in in, in mid January, you know, late January, um, then we we should be good. But the early indications at the moment are uh, that the systems are responding quite well. Um, now in the Catherine area, we have the Cambrian limestone aquifer, which is a bit different from the Um, aquifers up in darwin it's got more storage in it and it has been recovering especially since those um well above average uh, rainfalls across the catherine area um so you know it's got a lot of resistance in it that that aquifer and is starting to recover although you know with a with a slight december in terms of the rainfall it's sort of flattening out but uh, again you know when we have those monsoons, uh, those rainfalls, that'll, that'll help the system for sure.
3: Yeah, fingers crossed for those monsoons, that monsoon arrives soon. Thanks for your time, Adrian.
1: Absolutely. Good to be with you, Dan.
3: That is Adrian Costa. He's Director of Water Assessment with the Department of Environment. And as you heard there, Billy Lynch from the Weather Bureau said uh, potential monsoon sort of later this week. If that does arrive, that'll certainly help top-end aquifers, which do need a bit of a top-up. It is 18 minutes past one here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on the ABC right across the Territory. Up next, we're going to take a look at Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb ad this year. It is all about the divide between generations. We'll take a look at it after the Travelling wheelberries. 22 past one here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Well, this year's annual lamb ad, it was released overnight, and this one is all about the generational gap. Uh, This is, of course, produced by industry marketing bodies, Australian Lamb and Meat and Livestock Australia. It's this annual campaign to try and boost lamb sales during the summer period. And this year's ad, well, no matter what generation you come from, baby boomer, Gen X, Millennial or Gen Z, everyone is made fun of, as Annie Brown reports.
0: Good morning, Bloomer It's a beautiful day to be 60 to 78 years young. Where the new year brings a new ad from Australian lamb and meat and livestock Australia. Known for its satire, this year the ad is targeting the different generations across Australia.
5: Slay.
4: I just feel like no one pays attention to Gen X. We've got so much
7: to I don't care what they do. Just not in my backyard.
5: Hey! Hey, my backyard! This is their fault. Don't look at us.
8: We're literally perfect. Typical young people.
5: Everyone gets a trophy. We were kids. You bought us the trophy. Stop gaslighting us. That's not what that means. Dance up. Dance
4: up. Is that... Lamb? Lamb. You know, when I was a kid, we'd
5: have lamb egg. Lamb barbecue? Lit. Well, at least we can agree on something. The generation
1: gap, it's closing.
0: Domestic market manager at MLA, Graham Yardy, says the generations have more in common than what we all think.
8: I guess looking at some of the conversations through the year, we we really saw this narrative around, uh, in the media around it, the differences between the generations and um and so this was the idea behind it the generation gap that there is this uh, this gap widening between all the generations and um but when we sort of go a little bit deeper what we really understand is that actually we there's a lot more similarities between us and that's a really um, you know, important observation that, you know, um, that lamb can play to. It's the, it's the great protein that brings everybody together. So, um, you know, what better what better thing this year to do than bring the generations together over a, a lamb barbecue?
0: The ads every year is always a good amount of satire in them as well. We can all have a good laugh at ourselves. Generally, though, what are the aim of these ads, though, that you bring out every year?
8: The aim is actually to... Uh, Ensure we 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 sell more lamb for for producers. That's our that's the number one goal. So we we take that very seriously and and track that right through the campaign. And what we see from this campaign is, you know, normally we see uh, you know in the last well, in the last few years we've seen an, an uptick in in volume, um, you know, usually between 15 to 20 percent um, on a on a regular week uh, through the campaign period. So. We definitely want to see that, um, you know, on the – and we've worked out this really great model where providing the, uh, you know, really entertaining ad, getting people to watch it, and then, uh, you know, working, um, you know, with all the the customers of Red Meat um, to make sure there's things like, you know, Red Meat on menu when it's in-store and it's
0: available. How much does this campaign cost to run?
8: uh well you know what i can say is this is the this is the number one activity for lamb um uh, this year um you know it's not small change but as i said it sort of pays itself uh off in the in the first usually in about the first two weeks of the of the campaign
0: so we're talking millions of dollars
8: it, it, it is in that realm yes
0: <laughs> okay i guess in terms of in terms of an ad, in terms of lamb um, and consume, consumption of lamb at the moment, you said you've seen, an, uh, you usually see an uptick in consumption from this, but generally overall, what kind of data do you have around Australian lamb consumption at the moment? Like from the last year, are we uh, tracking upwards, downwards? What's the yeah. general feeling towards lamb?
8: Yeah, so um, over the last year we've seen a 22% increase in the consumption of of lamb, volume of lamb. So, um, you know, what we've seen is obviously prices come back quite considerably over the uh, over the last 12 months, which has actually helped. You know, there's been a steady increase, um, really for you know quite a long time since sort of 2014 on on lamb prices in the market. Um, but as there's been more supply coming through um, you know we've seen that price come down so much more accessible for consumers um, and that's been more availability so um, that's good news for consumers and obviously you know they' they're talking with their wallets and in a and in, in a Environment where the cost of living is going up, has sort of bucking the trend. So I think we're seeing consumers really appreciate that.
0: But what do farmers think? Well, Neil Stringer from Forge Creek Lamb produces grass-fed lamb in East Gippsland, and he loves the ad.
2: I think it's brilliant. It takes a, a an equal stab at all generations, and the underlying message is that you know unity, bringing people together, and that lambs are good a good catalyst to do that, to bring people together, put aside the differences. <laughs> We're not always going to agree on everything, so religion and politics are a good example. Um, share the lamb, share the love.
0: And lamb is the thing that brings us all together in the end, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's what the ad's saying. I'm not necessarily sure that in reality it does it, but it's a, if, if it sells lamb, it's a good, uh, good line.
0: What do you think of these lamb ads that they bring out every year in general? Do you think they, they help the industry sell more lamb or get the message out there?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever the marketing uh, guru is, they, they do it well. And um, I tend to look for it um, each year to see what the, the latest ad is. So,
0: In terms of lamb production, um, you know, it's the start of the new year. How are things going at the moment for you?
2: Yeah, pretty good. Um, like I said, we sell our, all our own lamb through our own label. And yeah, I just managed to keep the supply up to my demand. Um, Shanks are a bit hard to sell this time of year, but they will they will move. As a small smaller producer, I'm sure the uh, big wholesalers have got ways to manage that. But yeah, for us, supply supply and demand are good.
3: Neil Stringer, he is a lamb producer from Victoria, speaking there to Annie Brown about the brand new lamb ad. You can find it up on the Meat and Livestock Australia's website or on YouTube. The whole extended ad goes for about three minutes or so. It's a big production. As you heard there, it pokes fun at all generations. Uh, it's worth a watch. And that is it for the Country Hour for today. Uh, if you missed our chat earlier in the program with the Territory's new Ag Minister, Mark Monahan. We went across a whole range of topics. You can find that this afternoon via the Country Hour podcast. The easiest place to find that is via the ABC Listen app. Download that on your phone and just search for Northern Territory Country Hour and you can listen back to that program and all of our programs whenever you like. But that is it for the show today. I'll be back at the same time tomorrow. Take it easy.